Hello and a warm welcome. I'm Armin Trost, professor at the Furtwangen University in Germany. And this is my series on human resources strategies, a real master course for advanced HR students, professionals and executives. This series is available on YouTube and on all podcatchers like iTunes or Spotify. All slides that support this series are available on my website. For more information, please read the description to this YouTube or podcast. I'd also like to refer to my book, Human Resources Strategies, available at most online bookstores. So, again, thanks for listening Have fun and gain valuable insights into the fascinating world of HR strategies. So, as announced in the last episode, today we're going to talk about flexible work arrangements. And when you look into a regular HR textbook or so, you'll find that there are a lot of things companies could do. Well, there's something like trust-based working hours, flex time, um, early retirement, part-time work, but also something like fixed working hours, of course. Um, so a lot of th different things you might do in terms of working hours, but also when it comes to working location, There are a lot of things you could do, yeah, like home office and, and other things, yeah, uh, open offices, um, co-working spaces, and all the like. But you know, when you see that many HR textbooks outline various measures on how you could shape flexible work settings, the real question is, who is you? Who is you? Who decides? Yeah. Who, who, who is supposed to, to shape flexible work arrangement? Who is that? And there is an instant answer uh, some of you might, might give here. Well, it's an authority, of course. It's an authority. It's a CEO. <laughs> it's a CEO or it's at least a, a top-level um, group, committee, executive board, whoever. And they make the decision. They give the people the freedom, right? So they define. To put this into a strategic statement, it goes like this. A higher authority, for instance, the company management, decides about the regulations of the working conditions. I mean, who, who else? Right? <laughs> so, and when it comes to flexible work arrangements, uh, then we, we always talk about different things. We, we talk about where the people work, when the people work, how the people work, with whom the people work. So that's a, that's a matter of uh, autonomy, self-regulation, and all the like. And what we find very often in organizations, and I hear this over and over again, is that companies decide to change their working conditions because now we are in the 21st century, you know, uh, and then we have uh, to make younger generations happy and they might have uh, different expectations towards work. Uh, anything which is fixed is no more acceptable. And also in times of digitization, I mean, hey, let's be more flexible. That's more cool. Also be a Be, a, be an attractive employer, right? By doing that and, and, and all the like. So, so sooner or later, the CEO might come up with the idea saying, hey, why not, why not be more flexible? 
right? Why not be more flexible? And and then very often the CEO decides or whomever, yeah, the CEO decides that the people now have more freedom. And and then guess what happens? When you tell the people, "Hey, guys, from now on, you can show up at work whenever you like." <laughs> Now, hey guys, you can sit wherever you like. Here's just the co-working space or the open office. Choose your place. You're really flexible. You decide. I let you decide the things. Right? Please, you, you decide with whom you want to work. You decide how you want to do your work. If you, if you give people, you, the CEO, the executive board, if you give people the freedom, guess what happens? Very often, the people do not make use of it. <laughs> and I, 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 I don't know how many, I, how many times I had this conversation. I and, mean, you know, sometimes I do presentations, uh, keynotes, and I talk about the future of work. And then I share all these ideas about uh, flexible working arrangements and all the like. So I say, look, this is the future. This is how we're going to work in the future. And, and this is how we already work today to, to, to large extents. Then always, all, I mean, really always, There will be one or two or three CEOs or HR directors, whoever, they come to me and say, well, Professor Trust, yeah, I have to tell you, we did that. We did that. But the people don't make use of it. So we, we made the decision that people can show up whenever they like, but still, they show up in the morning at 8.15, as always, you know? And so, <laughs> and we... I mean, the people have demanded it for such a long time. They always, they always talk to us and say, "Hey, why couldn't we be more flexible? That would be really cool. I could better take care for my kids." And then so you know, and then we did it, and nothing changed. <laughs> nothing changed. So why all the effort? The people not really like it. The people don't really want. They just say so. Yeah. Well, you know, the thing here is that. You, you can you can change the formal rules, maybe you can change the formal rules, but but the unwritten rules, the social norms, they might not be adapted at the same at the same speed. So 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 that's the problem. And when there are when there are social norms, when there is this learned expectation that you show up in the morning at eight fifteen, this expectation does not disappear just because you're changing the rules. Right, so so that's something uh, very often happen, and um, sometimes could even be that people are uh, kind of overwhelmed. They're not used to build their own structure. I mean, when you, I mean, we we now we now learn it with home office. Um, now, for instance, during the Corona crisis, many people were forced to work from home, and that's not easy. That's not easy. You have to structure your day in a very straight way. Really, you have to say, okay. From that time to that time, I work, and also you have to share this information with your family, and you have to have to have to have clear rules. Uh, you must show a, a certain level of discipline. Really, it's not it's not easy. It's not easy. That's something you have to learn. So, it could be that some people are really overwhelmed by the sudden freedom they receive, right? Also, I mean, when when there is flexibility, when you, when people can. When people can choose where they want to sit in the office, saying, okay, today I would like to sit in this desk and, and tomorrow I want to sit there, right? So then conflicts might, might appear. Of course, wherever things are open, free, there might be uh, conflicting interests. 
And then you have to solve this conflict interest. But but very often people did not learn to solve conflicts. The rules were there to avoid conflicts. If you have rules, you avoid conflicts. So you, you reduce social complexity. But as soon as you increase the freedom, there are much more options for behaviors. And then there are conflicts of interests and then yeah, conflicts appear. And And if you have not learned how to solve conflicts, then it's not good. It's really not good. Um, and, you know, there are some biases that we already know something like the morning bias for instance we we assume we naturally assume that people who work early in the morning uh, demonstrate a higher level of performance and those people who sleep long they don't <laughs> it you you appear as being lazy when you show up late in the office Ah, John, uh, now he's also... Good afternoon, you say. John shows up in the morning at 11 o'clock. Good afternoon. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the signal is, hey, okay. Did you sleep well? Uh, sleep well? Sleep is more important than work for you, right? Uh, okay, I see. Yeah. Hey, that's wrong. That's really wrong. There are people who perform better late in the day. Really, my, myself too. I rather work late than early. And I work a lot, really, I do. <laughs> There was one book I have written, uh, Talent Relationship Management. I completely wrote this book in, in the night, completely, in a, in a, in a period of six-week time. So always, I start at 10 o'clock and I wrote until 2 a.m. Every day. Every day in the summer. Ah, that was really cool. Huh? So, hmm, was I lazy? No, <laughs> the opposite, yeah. So we also talk sometimes about this work private boundaries. Yeah. Saying, okay, here is work and here is private. And also some creative people, there might not be this uh, this boundary. Um, they just see life. Life is about work and family and other things, and that is combined. And also scientists, they always think. I always think. I don't see where is this boundary between work and private life. Probably I don't have it. I just have my life. And work and life, it's all the same. It's so because I also really love my work. I really love my work. I enjoy thinking. I, I enjoy thinking about HR and solving complex problems, really. And I love to think while I watch TV about uh, the next episode <laughs> I produce. Really, I love it. That's so absolutely fine. But that's not fine for all people. Some people are really happy having these things separated and say, okay, when I leave work, whatever that means, when I leave work, then work is over. And now something different starts and they need this boundary. And that also could be really cool to say, okay, there are different domains in my life and I want to separate these different domains. And I don't want the domains to diffuse in, in, into, uh, into one, one, one another, right? And uh, another effect that goes along, and there's a lot of research about this, is what we name the spillover effect. The spillover effect means that things that you experience at work, and that's not always fun, Yeah, that's sometimes challenge, that's stress, conflicts, emotions, that these things spill over yeah, or get diffused in, into your private life. So we also say you take your work to home. And sometimes the family suffers from your frustration you experience with your some of your colleagues or so. Is that good? Hmm, maybe, maybe not. Okay, so The idea is when you look at all these things I just have outlined is those things very often happen when freedom has been decided by a top authority. You receive the freedom, so now go ahead. Right? Uh, okay, you might think, yeah, but 
I mean, that's natural. That's, that's always the case. No, it's not. No, it's not. So here is the alternative strategic statements, the statement. Our employees themselves decide on the regulations covering, governing working conditions within the framework of a democratic process. What is that? Now, now here, comes, here comes a very, very important differentiation. And to me, that's the most important differentiation whenever it comes to uh, flexible working arrangements. And that's something that, that is, in my eyes, overseen in most textbooks, really. And it's the differentiation between rule of first and second order. That's essential, really. Listen carefully. Please understand this, really. Rule of first and second order. What is that? Rule of first order. These are the rules that you always find in all textbooks. These are the rules that define the level of autonomy, the level of flexibility, right? These are the rules, the given rules, the, the rules that are applied in daily life. So, as I said, most textbooks just look at these, right? And, and to put it simple, it could be that the rules declare that people have no autonomy, That could be the case, or partial autonomy, okay, or full autonomy, okay. This it's a range from no autonomy, partial autonomy, full autonomy, okay. This is how things are, okay. So that's rule first order. Now comes the rule second order, and that's more interesting. The rule second order are the rules about who defines the rules and how do we find the how do we define the rules. The rule about the rule. Okay, you got it? That's that rule, because you say regulation of second order. The regulations about the regulations. With the regulations second order, it's regulated how regulations of first order are defined or changed. And that's the interesting thing. Okay, here we can differentiate at least uh, who decides. Who decides upon the rules? And a uh, simple differentiation might be saying, well, all employees decide. All employees decide how things are supposed to be, right? All the people. Or we could also say, no, we do this within uh, organizational units and teams. They decide how they want to have things, right? Or it's a top authority. And that's the top authority. That's the what I've outlined in the beginning. This is our our. For many companies, that's the that's the primary idea. It must be the top authority who who defines how things are. They define the rules of first order. Okay, but that's important to have this. So when you combine these two uh, levels of regulation, rule of first order and rule of second order, and you differentiate each dimension into three layers. No autonomy, partial autonomy, full autonomy on one side, rule first order, and all employees, organizational units, and top authority as three levels of uh, rule of second order. Then you end up with a nine box, a nine block, yeah, three times three. And uh, let me let me walk through um, a few different cases here now. And let's assume. Um, All employees define how things are supposed to be, right? It's the people. Let's assume this. It's really the people. They decide. 
You can imagine, maybe uh, that, that works, by the way, in a big organization, but also in small organization. You, very, you more often find it in small organization. Let's, let's say there is a team of 30 people. The company consists of 30 people. And these 30 people, they sit together and think, hmm, how do we want to, how do we want to handle working hours? They all decide. And, and, uh, and the CEO, he, he, just, uh, he or she just uh, facilitates. You know? they, hey, guys, how do we want to handle working hours? Does anybody have an idea? And then they have a rough discussion, <laughs> a tough discussion. Eh? So they discuss, they debate. Hmm, how much autonomy do we want to have? And then all employees all together in the democratic process eh, come to the conclusion that they want to have fixed working hours. They all together agree that they want to work from nine to five. Okay? Yeah. And then there's this commitment. Now, here's the question. Is that now flexible work arrangement or not? Is that? I mean, now they decided upon having flexible uh, fixed working hours. Nine to five. You, on, with regard to rule, rules of first order, you would say no. Yeah, and that's correct. No flexibility. No, no, really, no, no flexibility. But with regards to rule second order, full flexibility. They have decided themselves. They were free to choose any kind of working hour model they like. And in the end, they decided to go for what I name voluntary rigidity. Okay, <laughs> that's interesting. Huh? Two different layers. <laughs> the people decided... Uh, in a flexible way, not to be flexible. Uh, that's pretty cool. Now, the complete opposite of that would be that the top authority, a CEO maybe, the CHRO, they all together decide that the people should have full autonomy. Full autonomy. They decided. It, they did not ask the people whether they want it. They just decided it. The strategic decision. We want to be a modern organization. Ah, future of work, 21st century, Generation Y, and all the <laughs> so they make a decision. Hey, put off your ties. <laughs> oh, this is not working hours. Uh, we have trust-based working hour. We just decided that. So, guys, here's the news. You can come whenever you like. Why? Because we say so. Yeah, you, you, you see the difference. And very often in those cases, the people won't change their behavior. It's, it's also very interesting, right? Or... What we find in very uh, traditional organization is something that I would name, name prescribed rigidity. It was decided by the top authority that the people have no autonomy. Slavery, <laughs> kind of. Okay? Or, or um, you ask all the people, really all the people in your organization, hey, people, how do you want to handle working hours? And I stick to working hours. You can also apply this to working location, of course. Hey, guys, how do you want to handle working hours? And then they have a debate, and then they come to the conclusion, well, hmm, would be cool if you would have full autonomy. Do we really want this altogether? Yes, you want this. Okay, democratic, decided autonomy. That's the outcome. Or sometimes... Uh, there is the idea that the organizational units decide. The teams, the departments, they have the freedom to decide how they want to regulate things. And, for instance, let's have uh, the case in the middle. Yeah? Organizational units decide that they want to have a partial autonomy. So, 
So they decided that uh, not everything is free, not everything is uh, open, not everything is flexible. Uh, we have a few rules, but a lot of things we decide uh, on the spot. Okay, and this is probably what we what is known as semi semi autonomous teams, right? And so you have different variations. What I really want you to take home from this moment is the differentiation between rule of first order and rule of second order. If you want that the people really follow up on the rules and the changing rules, you have to involve them, <laughs> really. Uh, you have all the people or the team who decide upon how they want to handle things. If things are just decided by the top authority, you very often find that the people do not follow the new regulation, if they, even if they get the full freedom. Okay? Okay. Here's another idea. And um, that goes a little bit into uh, the area also of uh, work-life balance, um, Uh, flexible work arrangements and all the like. And um, one thing here is that you might say the following. Here's the strategic statement. In order to achieve work-life balance, we rely on appropriate programs and structural measures. Uh, things like I already have mentioned. Flexi time, job sharing, company kindergarten. You do things. Yeah? Uh, rule first order. Whoever they decided, who uh, whoever decided this. Um, so these are structural measures, right? You 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 define. So now we have to be careful when you think set up just in a structural way, formal way, visible. Then again, things might not really work because you might change the structure. You might change the rules, but you might not change the way people really work. And you might not change the way people think. You might not change their opinions and attitudes and all the like. And I would like to, to explain this a little bit based on, not on based on uh, flexible working hours or so, but based on um, uh, flexible uh, uh, locations, working locations. And, um, you know... <laughs> A couple of months ago, there was an article published by two Harvard researchers, recognized researchers, Bernstein and Weber, 2019. And they published a widely recognized article uh, with the evidence that open offices seem to lead to a decline in collaboration. Maybe some of you have seen this article. It went viral. I've seen it so many times on LinkedIn. Uh, and, and, think, and many people just, just read the headlines. We know this in social media. Very often people like an article, even though they have not read the article, really. They just see the headline. And the headline very often was something like, Open offices kill collaboration. Open offices not good for teamwork. <laughs> so that, I mean, that was a really... Uh, Pro provoking article, so to speak, because we all believe that open offices are good. Open offices, they are good for collaboration, being connected, networks, teamwork, and so. So they published an article which said that, no, it's the opposite. It's the opposite, right? 
Okay, here's the mistake, I would say. My yeah, mistake might be too rude, but, you know, what did they do? I mean, they had, as I, I really read this article, I read the scientific study, and what they did is uh, there was a building, right? There was a building and there were offices, the typical cages, so to speak, the typical boxes where people worked in a very separated way. So there were walls, right? So one thing they did is they... They put off the walls. <laughs> They simply transformed many cages into one single room, a big room. And now they were all in one room. And they named that open office. And they had these wearable devices. The people had wearable devices that, that could track the personal interaction with other people. And that went down. That went down. So, <laughs> I mean, that's naive. That's naive. Just breaking down the walls makes not flexible work location. Really not. No. Uh, when you change the architecture, now we talk about the architecture. The architecture you will, you will have in the end that really must match to the nature of the task. If you have people who, who, who don't face the need to collaborate, if there is no task uh, uncertainty, If there is no task dynamics, they will not collaborate. But they will collaborate if they have to, if they need to. Right? So the nature of the task must fit to that. I mean, for, for many tasks, open offices is, uh, is, is evil. Uh, I will come to that point later, really. I mean, for some tasks, you better work alone. You sit in your lone office. If you are an author of a book, you don't want to work in an in a open office, for sure. Maybe... For, for an hour in a day, but not for the entire time. That, that would kill you, really. I mean, also, many scientists, they love to work alone. And that has also some psychological reason. We know this. We talk about social facilitation here. If you do something really complex, you don't want to have anybody looking over your shoulders. That, that will kill your performance. So sometimes you want to work alone, for sure. But for some other tasks, you should collaborate. You have to. And the people know it very often. Okay? So open working environments also require a structural flexibility and lateral thinking to be effective. What does that mean? Uh, It's, it's, I've seen that very often uh, in traditional organizations. They, 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 they tear down the walls and all the people found themselves in a big office and you thought, okay, now with a big open office, they will exchange and they will move around. Some people at one time sit there and then they, they sit there and to this variation, they get closer to each other. No, they don't. They don't. Ah. <laughs> <sighs> No, they don't. They don't. It's like the Germans on, at the beaches. You know, you know what the Germans do at the beaches. It's so ugly, and I'm really ashamed. I'm really ashamed about this behavior. They always uh, lay down their towels. <laughs> you know, I've seen this. Yeah, they stand up in the morning at five o'clock to go to the beach chair, and they lay their towels. They they reserve their chair. This is my chair. Everybody knows, this is my chair. Don't dare to touch this chair. It's a bad behavior. Don't do this, please. Uh, it's, 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 uh, that's not good. So, And people reserve their places. Yeah, They put signs that, look, this is my place. So you have no flexibility at all. The people are fixed. You have to have a structural flexibility that's regulated to a certain extent. Regulated flexibility. You have to have rules, right? You have to have rules. One rule might be that in the evening, 
take away your plants and, and, and whatever you have in your desk because make it free for any other. Yeah? Something like this, for instance. And you also have to have this, this, this mindset that lateral thinking, horizontal thinking, collaborating with others is absolutely key. I mean, we were talking about this. This refers to the context again. Yeah? In some companies, when people face a problem, they talk to the boss. Right? That's the thing they do. And they do not talk to each other. In some other companies, if you face a complex problem, you talk to others. That's a different way of thinking. That's a different way of behavior. And you rather have this type of thinking. You rather have this type of behavior so, so that you admire uh, flexible uh, work locations. Okay? And of course, it's good that the open working environments are compatible with cultural beliefs. That, that spontaneous encounter is essential. Spontaneous encounter, this is the so-called water cooler. Yeah, and you walk around and you meet people. And you know, whenever meet people, when people meet informally and have a little chat, they also talk about work, and that's essential. It's really essential. Spontaneous encounter is essential. You, you see this in in many in many uh, innovative companies. They shape room for this. They shape room where people can spontaneously meet. Okay. I mean, practical ideas around um, flexible work location are things you probably know, like non-territorial workspaces, right? Uh, hoteling, meaning you can you can book your workspace with an app, you can book rooms with an app, or something like co-working spaces and all the like. Okay, so that's interesting, right? So that's very interesting. So the idea is that you cannot implement. Collaboration by just tearing down walls. You can't. So this article of Bernstein and Weber, uh, sorry, but this evidence is, is, is not really valid. Not really. That was very, very, very naive, I would say. Okay? So what's the, what's the, what is a good way to shape working environment, the physical working environment? Um, I came across a great book. The title of the book was uh, The Architecture of Innovation. Architecture of Innovation. And uh, these researchers, psychologists, architects, they, they had a look at different companies, very innovative companies, and looked at what do they do different? What do they do different? How do, how do facilities look like? How do the buildings look like when people are really innovative? Because there's the assumption that the architecture shapes behavior. That's the saying. First you shape the architecture, but then the architecture shapes you. And that's true. That's probably true. The architecture could have, could have, given the right cultural and structural context. Right? Architecture really can boost collaboration uh, and, and innovation and all the like. And um, there's much to say about that. But what I found really interesting is when When you look at how innovative companies look like in terms of architecture, it all comes down to a simple formula. And this formula is very, 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 very old. It's a formula that were already applied when you look at, uh, let's say, Western uh, Christian cloisters. Um, where I live here in Germany, we have some cloisters. Yeah, It's nice to visit, visit them. 
It's really nice. Very often they have cool breweries <laughs> because the monks, they used to drink beer in times when they were not supposed to eat. It's a, that's a funny alternative, right? Uh, yeah, a lot of beer, by the way. Uh, uh, that's, that's not the point here. Um, how do cloisters look like? When you put it simply, then cloisters have three different types of areas. They have an area which is about work, collaboration, and encounter. It's very often in the middle. Here is the place where people meet. Here's the place where people work physically. Here's the, peop the place where the people walk around and have spontaneous encounter. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, and you can go there whenever you like. Yeah, but along with that, there are also rooms where you can uh, be focused, where you have time for retreat, You know, these are these, uh, it's good if you, one time in your life you can see this. These rooms of these monks, they are very, very pure. Very pure. There's not much in it, really. And it's just for having silence, focus, thinking, praying, sleeping, being alone. That's important. For some things, that's important, really. Close the door. Yeah? No internet. Nothing. Just you and you yourself right? so you have the room for this you feel it okay but there's a third thing inspiration inspiration room for inspiration i see some companies have this they have rooms which are very often big or have a kind of spirit very often in the center of the facility of the company and you go there you feel inspired and it's very hard to say why this is the case but in cloisters these are really is the church When you go there, you learn one thing. You learn that the thoughts that you had a minute before is not so important. There is something which is bigger than you. There is something that is bigger than your current thought. Think big. Open. Think in terms of vision, long term. Open your mind. Relax. Trust. Yeah? So, so uh, I, I sometimes think, I always puzzle, what is the inspiration part in organization? I think very often we go for conferences, which is for inspiration, some, something like this. It's also that it's important that you meet a lot of other people. When you are together with a lot of other people, that's inspiring. There's a kind of energy in the room that makes you think, makes you feel which is important. So inspiration, focus, and collaboration. You know, I've seen a lot of companies in the last few years that have just teared down walls. Uh, really, some very modern companies. And they just tear down walls and said, okay, we are in the 21st century. Let's, be, let's have a collaborative setting. We all want to collaborate. And, and then the people find themselves in big offices, open offices, and, and they run crazy. They run crazy. They say, I, I want to concentrate I have to prepare this presentation, but I can't because you always talk. <laughs> you know? It's a mistake just to have room for work, collaboration, encounter. You also have to have room for focus. Really, it's important. And you have to have room for a spontaneous encounter. It's also important. Maybe also for inspiration. And now it's the other thing. Not only to have all these things, but also to give people... Or so that people have the freedom, whomever decides this, to decide where they want to work at a particular day, in a particular moment. Okay? So, one thing was to say, whenever you implement something like flexible working hours, work-life balance, and all the like, you can think very much in structural terms, okay? 
That's one thing. But here's the other thing. You can achieve all this. Work-life balance, a real flexibility, flexible behavior and all the like. When you subscribe the following, to achieve work-life balance, we tell our employees that family and friends are more important than work. Right? This is another way of thinking. You tell the people, look, there is much more than work. There is much more than work. So in the evening, go home. Don't you have friends? Go home. We don't want to have people who work all through the night. No, we don't want this. We want to have people who have friends. How can you how can you how can you take responsibility for others, for clients, for colleagues, if you are not capable to take responsibility about yourself and your family? How about your priorities? Don't mix up your priorities. I mean, you could live for for a few weeks maybe without work. I mean, you'd need the money, of course. Yeah. You could live without a project. That project, the projects you do are not so essential as you might think. But your family, that's the most important thing in your life. So give that a priority. Yeah. And and this is a message maybe of a company saying, okay, I mean, we can have all this kindergarten, uh, company kindergarten, tearing down walls and all the like. But in the end, you must clearly say, Here is a priority, and your priority, even when we really admire your work and everything, your priority must be your family. Yeah, that's the only healthy way to live. Okay, so that's the idea. Let's, let's to summarize this, this, this. Work-life balance, flexible work arrangement is not just about structural things, right? It's not just about what you decide formally. It's also about the thinking of the people the culture, the underlying beliefs, and all the like. Okay, so that's for the moment. Thanks for listening. It's good to have you here and see us next time. Bye.